We have tickets for the Western Final. We'll tell you how you can win those tickets in our next segment, which will kind of tie into what we're about to discuss right now. With higher food prices, higher rents, and staffing challenges, Restaurants have a lot on their plate these days. Pre-pandemic, Restaurants Canada said just 12% operated at a loss. Now that number is more like 51%. And I think it's fair to say most of us get it, right? We understand that this business is difficult at the best of times. Margins are thin. I think we have a lot of patience for what many businesses are going through, except for perhaps some of that patience is wearing thin for some Canadians, Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie, in collaboration with Cattle, surveyed more than 5,000 Canadians this fall, and they found some 88% are now eating out less due to costs. And then, Greg, when we do dine out, the majority are feeling like they're leaving unsatisfied. Yeah, so maybe we've just become a little more discerning. We don't go out nearly as much, and so when we do, we're looking for value. On average, less than 30% of Canadians surveyed said they were satisfied with their experience, and that number is far lower in Manitoba. Sylvain Charlebaugh, the food professor, joins us now from Dalhousie University. Sylvain, good morning. Good morning. So, uh, Manitoba, when we look at, you know, uh, the CFL standings, Winnipeg's near the top. On this survey, Manitoba's near the bottom at 15%. <laughs> Tell us about that. I mean, that's dramatically different than than the uh, than the provinces that are most satisfied. Yeah. What's, uh, what's going on in Manitoba? <laughs> you I guess tell you, you us. need the bombers to win to <laughs> offset the pains uh, that you feel uh, when visiting visiting restaurants. I guess. Uh, I mean, that's the reality with uh, higher menu prices. Uh, expectations have changed. Uh, basically, people are expecting uh, quality, uh, even perhaps perfection, uh, and uh, restaurants uh, need to adapt. Uh, the challenge, of course, is that to operate a restaurant these days is very costly. Things have gone up in price. Uh, costs have gone up as well. It's it's quite challenging, especially for independents. I do feel for independents. Chains, uh, they're fine. I mean, if you look at financial results for RBI, McDonald's, um, all those chains, I mean, they're doing very well uh, in a trading down economy. But independents who, who rent uh, their space uh, to accommodate their establishment, that they're the ones that really are suffering right now. So when it comes to the satisfaction level on this survey, like what are we looking at here? Is it cost or service or portion size or a combination? It's a combination of different things. Uh, so uh, portion size did come up a lot. Uh, more than uh, 65% of people actually have noticed smaller portion sizes. So this is the, this, this whole notion of shrinkflation is impacting food service as well. Um, skimflation is also an issue. So uh, the quality of the food also, a lot of people have noticed that there's been some changes. Uh, for example, vegetable oil. It, it is an ingredient that is used quite heavily in food service. And, and a lot of people have actually noticed that while uh, restaurant operators are using uh, a cheaper uh, vegetable oil. It is vegetable oil is very expensive these days. So skinflation is under issue and service. Well, I, I think everyone knows that labor is an issue for everyone, including food service. And when you go to a restaurant, chances are you're going to be served by someone who's just starting, uh, charting his, his or her job. So, and, and people uh, have learned to be patient, but when you're charged 20, 30, 40% more, 
uh, in addition to uh, the tip, well, again, your expectations will change. Yeah, I think it's just it's where we're at in that moment now, Sylvain. You talk about tips. We're having that conversation this morning that uh, DoorDash, for example, the delivery service for food, it put out a warning a few days ago that customers who choose a, a no-tip option or, or prefer to wait to tip until the food gets to the door can expect slower service. What's what's that all about? Is that about adding to the bottom line of the drivers, of DoorDash, or just about trying to discern who's the best customer out there? Well, yeah, no, there's a bit of a battle and you want to feel good. You want to uh, also be generous as much as possible because you know that these people are working very hard. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, everyone's suffering financially out there. And so, uh, of course, you can, when uh, the pandemic strike, I think there was a lot of sympathy towards restaurants and, and, and rightly so. But now, uh, three years later, the picture has changed. Uh and, and, and there's a lot of discussion. I'm actually meeting with some restaurant operators on Thursday in Toronto. And, you know, there's, there's some talks about, well, do we have too many restaurants now, uh, given that people are working from home a little bit more often? And uh, perhaps the landscape should be adjusted as a result of a different economy. Uh, it's like uh, slipping the maitre d' the 20 to get a table a little bit quicker or I don't know, <laughs> right. Sylvain, I don't know. Exactly. I don't know if you ever frequented a nightclub back in the day. That used to be the only time I would tip before service would be to give a 20 to a bartender to make sure my drink was never empty. And my friends were always getting served ahead of, of other people. But now to have it as an expectation to tip before your food shows up, I hope that doesn't become a trend because, uh, yeah. you know, I was in that industry for a long time and that's not happening from this guy. Maybe you needed different friends. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying you never had to tip up front to get served, Selvin? Mm, we no, have some notes I, to share. I actually, I can't remember the last time I did that, to be honest. Mm. I just expect the service to to be rendered. And then of course, uh, what annoys me if, is when I actually provide my own service, uh, like I show up at a fast food restaurant or a coffee chain and I'm expected to actually pay a tip. That's mm. kind of weird. And so I'm starting to, you know, press that no tip button now. I'm among, I'm among those that do the same for the most part. Sylvain, thank you for the time. We'll have to let, leave it here. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Sylvain Charlebois, the food professor, joining us live from Dalhousie University. And on just a very quick note here on the subject of staffing and labor issues, I was at a restaurant over the weekend. I'm not going to name the restaurant or even the community where it is because I don't want to make it sound like I'm being critical of them. But I was really excited to go there. I've only been there once. Mm -hmm. It's a local restaurant. Mm -hmm. I like to visit a local place when I go to a community. I don't get to visit all that often. And they, we got in and they said, we are way short-staffed today. They actually had to close half the restaurant like the, the dining room, totally closed. The lounge remained open. They said, we can maybe seat you in 20 minutes, but it will be a minimum hour before mm. you see some food. Wow. Just Good because, on them. So like, I felt brutal for them that they, they're having to sit because it was busy. Like People kept coming, and, and they had to warn every single person who came in, and we ended up leaving because you know, we're like, well, sorry, guys. you know, We want to be here, mm -hmm. but... Not, we can't wait an hour. Good yeah. on them for letting you know, though, yeah. because it, that's a challenge. You have a lineup at your door and you want to serve people because you want to earn their trust. You want to earn their business long term, serving them poorly and not being able to deliver on the promise of, of the moniker. That's not a way to do it. And so I commend 
that business for giving you the straight goods before you sat down. That's that's a mark of a mature business. This segment is to set up the fact that we have tickets for the Bomber game on Saturday for the Western final. And in light of what we just discussed, restaurant satisfaction, service satisfaction, we want to flip this and make it a positive spin. We want you to just simply tell us about a time you got good service. doesn't have to be at a restaurant. could be salon, mechanic, whatever. 204-780-6868. Cam Poitras, let's start with you. You got to go right to Olive Garden during the never-ending pasta bowl. There's no harder working (laughs) server staff, kitchen staff in the city during that chaotic time. Yes. I need refills on my drinks. I need refills on the salad. I need refills on the pasta. I need refills on the breadsticks. Don't forget the breadsticks. Oh, and they know when you walk in there that every person's on a mission to eat as much as humanly possible. <laughs> and they just give, exactly, and they just give up and they say like, how big of a salad do you want? Because I'm bringing you, I'm filling this thing. I'm. It's going to be overflowing. I'm bringing you 20 breadsticks yeah. because of the insanity that is about to ensue. So They just like roll the fountain machine over. Yeah. Just get your own pot. Cam, right? and, I, and I increasingly <laughs> feel worse and worse because I see this poor guy running around sweating and stuff like that, working his tail off. And I'm like, yeah, can we get more salad, please? <laughs> I'm going to sit down and go, I'll tell you what, I'm going to have at least two bowls of salad, three pops, 19 breadsticks, and probably Set fill my basketball. expectation. You know, yeah. just bring it. So I always make sure that way I tip those guys okay. well. I get 20, 25% always, maybe even a little higher, however I feel, but... Uh, because I know that they're busting their so butts. Because you ate six hundred dollars worth of food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and it's ju- and it's not just me. It's the it's the whole table. So Sarah McCarthy, what about you? Well, you know Olive Garden's my favorite, so. Good shout out, Cam. (laughs) Uh, Mine's my hair salon. So when I came to Winnipeg, obviously looking for a new hair police and uh, no one wants a botched haircut or a bad color or anything like that. So, of course, I asked some co-workers, ask around and uh, go to this place. So, no, it's good. But they went above and beyond. First of all, so, so friendly, so nice, such a welcoming space. And then... On top of that, I'm sitting, having my toner sit on my head in the little plastic bag. It's like half an hour. And they're like, do you want a snack? Do you want a drink? Do you want coffee? We can run and get coffee. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I ended up having cheesies and like a little boob- bubbly. I always want to call it bubbly. Bubbly. <laughs> bubbly little drink. Yes. Yeah, so that was just so nice, I thought. And so, yeah, tipped well so they could get money for more snacks because i think that's a good service to have there while people are waiting excellent excellent forte what about you uh when i go to sobeys i end up being in the same line get the same uh what do you call them tellers cashier cashier thank you get the same cashier and you know like she's taught me that apparently i have a doppelganger because she goes like weren't you just in here like a few hours ago no no way but you, you make like a friendship and to the point where you know, I think I could fit everything in my backpack, and it turns out I can't. So I'm like, okay, I got to purchase a bag. And, you know, she goes, nah, here, it's on the house. Have, oh. a free, have a free bag that costs 25 cents. But, you know, <laughs> just the small things that, you know, make a big difference. Yeah. No, they, they go, that goes all so far. It's a huge, it makes a big, big difference. Uh, Mackling. Well, I'll go back to my uh, the experience at Tim Hortons just about every single morning. The, mm-hmm. the woman who serves me my tea, I just have to say good morning. She recognizes my voice. I learned that she has a new job, so she's working like 16 hours a day right now. So we've got a genuine sort of 
relationship going <laughs> conversation. And, you know, and that's just been mostly the experience of my lifetime is just engaging with people because there are so many people who are so good at their jobs. They're passionate about it. It's no secret. I did it for a very long time and you don't do it in my mind, unless you enjoy it. Like you don't sign up for a career or a part-time job in serving unless you really want to do it. It's, it's a little bit of a calling. So I just a shout out to anybody who serves in this day and age back in the past that did it with passion. I just have such a respect for the idea of just kind of creating that hospitality. Excellent. Loren, what about you? Much like Cam's experience at the Olive Garden with the servers who know to keep it coming, my shout out would be to the flight attendants on any international flight that, no, you just give me two bottles of wine, not one. Just start with two and then you don't have to come back. I'm helping you. You know, I just put my hand up too. She nods. She's like, I see where this is going. I'm like, thanks. (laughs) And I'm helping her not make as many footsteps. And then I have to. Feels like I'm almost cheating saying this because we're talking bombers. Carol at the bomber stopped in the store just a couple weeks ago. My kids, my youngest kid had a birthday party he was going to and he wanted to get his friend who was a big bombers fan, something. And uh, so you're walking in and walking around and she basically just took him. And said, come with me and started pointing out all the different things that she thought kids would like, the hats that were popular. And uh, she just gives top notch service. Didn't have to do that. It is Mackling McGarry McNabb. Congratulations, by the way, to Marlene Leckie, who picked up the tickets for the Winnipeg Wine Festival for the matinee tasting on January 27th. We've got more of those to give away through the week. And right now, as promised, we have a concert announcement, and we will have tickets to give away to see a Canadian crooner. Matt Dusk is coming to Winnipeg on Tuesday, April 30th, Club Region Event Centre. It's Dusk Sings Bennett. The best is yet to come. So there's a pre-sale through Ticketmaster. It starts tomorrow. The password is jazz, as in J-A-Z-Z, Z-Z-Z-Z. And tickets go on sale Thursday, or you can win tickets with us. We are going to give away our first pair of tickets just before 9 o'clock. And a reminder, we've got our next Country Fest code word coming up at 7.20. In the meantime, daycare is slowly becoming more affordable, but now that $10 a day daycare is here centers are struggling to keep up with the demand yeah some need more space because there's more people applying to get their kids in those centers but when you expand you then need more staff and the shortage of early childhood educators in this province well some studies have pegged it in the thousands jody kale is the executive director of manitoba's child care association and joins us now good morning jody Good morning. So two numbers questions that I know you've been asked for years, but now that we've tackled or think we've tackled the affordability question, how many spaces do we need and therefore how many early childhood educators and staff? Hi, million dollar question there. So, well, under the Canada-wide agreement, we have a target of 23,000 new spaces by the end of 2026. So we're almost halfway through our five-year agreement with the government of Canada And we're far way off from meeting that target, which isn't surprising because, you know, you've just identified three things that need to happen, right? Affordability, which we're definitely have moved the dial on that. We're talking about accessibility. We need more spaces, but we need quality. And without certified early childhood educators, this is not going to be successful for Manitoba's children and families. So it's a very complex situation in front of us here. 
So Jody, it's all well and good, as you say, to have this plan, to execute it, but people are the key here. At the rate we're graduating ECEs, how long would it take for us to get to the number that we need? And what is that number? Well, so you, you're right. So we're sitting in a shortage of about 1,000 ECEs in our current system. But that aside, the province has um, expanded training seats earlier this year. There's about 900 and just under 1,000 new seats, primarily childcare assistance. So it's only about 318 new ECE seats. And a recent paper that came out that I was shared, someone shared with me last week from the Canadian Public Policy is saying that there's going to need to be probably about... 2,500, I'm thinking almost 3,000 new ECEs over the next three years. And it could take as long as 18 years to train enough graduates. So we've got got to understand that this is going to take a long time. And one of the things that I try to put in context is, as advocates, we've been calling for a national child care program, a national child care system for, for well over 50 years. It's not going to happen in five years. It's unreasonable if it's going to be successful and sustainable to expect that it will. And Manitoba's made some really good strides, so I don't want to take away from that, but it's going to take time to get this right for children and families. What about costs for the daycares? Like we're hearing some have had to stop serving snacks, for example. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a number of things. So affordability, let's talk about affordability first before we go back to that. So in April of this year, Manitoba was the first province to go to a $10 a day for zero to six years of age for preschool children, infant children in in early learning and childcare. So what happened when that was introduced in Manitoba is that families quickly realized that more affordable childcare doesn't guarantee securing a space. And so I wanted to share, if I may, some some responses from a quick survey that I did yesterday just to kind of put it in context about, you know, capacity and, and challenges for facilities and for families, of course. You know, but some of the responses I received yesterday, you know, we have, you know, fill in the bank, over, over 70, 400, 500, 700 on a wait list. You know, we're a small rural center. We have 16 preschool children, 36 school age, and we have 90 children on our wait list. We're a small community of 2,500 people, and we have 41 infants on our preschool wait list. So just to contextualize how much the need is there, you know, one facility said she had a phone call from a family last week. The mother is one month pregnant and is putting herself on the wait list. And so families, of course, rightly are feeling frustrated that. They are not having access to child care, but without the workforce, and it always has to come back to the workforce, we're not going to have the success that we're, what we need to make this a high-quality system for families. So uh, pretty much everything that you said this morning, Jody, has my jaw dropping. So you're, we're, we're short thousands of staff, potentially, could take 18 years to address. When you look rurally and talking about the need there, you know, I, that's where I live. I, I live outside of Manitoba. And you think about all these small towns that are trying to expand the same way local family doctors are needed to keep the economic viability of a community is so important. You could argue so is daycare then. You know, who wants to move to the small town if they don't have someone to help care for their kids, whatever the industry might be there. So that's the challenge. And then for the daycares themselves to just keep running, is it uh, becoming difficult because A, of the staff or just the costs? Absolutely. So, you know, under the previous government, there were, like I said, I, I don't want to discredit the, the investments that were made, but we need more and we need more now. And so MCC, of course, um, is anxious to meet with Minister Altamari and Deputy Minister O'Leary 
to, to talk about what needs to happen now. You know, the momentum is there, but we need to really look at, you know, consistent, reliable operating grants so that existing facilities can pay their early childhood educators what they what they deserve to be paid. Um, MCCA has already developed, we've been working on it for nearly two decades, a market competitive salary guideline scale. So a common provincial salary scale that every ECE in the province deserves to be paid. So we can really retain the ECEs that we have, but also attract new ones to make this a high quality system. So there's lots more that needs to happen. I think the other thing I would want to say is that we really need to look at the reliable indexed operating grants for the licensed not-for-profit facilities. Staffing salaries and benefits, they make up about 85% of the facility's budget, but all of their other expenses, of course, have increased tremendously over the past four years, right? Rent, food, supplies, furniture, all those things. And so we need to really ensure that they are getting reliable indexed funding so that they can have that sustainability in their revenue so that they can start expanding and meeting the needs of Manitoba's families. Jody Kale is the executive director of Manitoba's Child Care Association. Thank you for the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a great day. It is time for Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by cooperators investing in your future together. Our guest this morning is playing his sixth season with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He is one of the most engaging members of the team off the field, which is saying something on a team full of personalities. And that's just how it sounds. Quiet like the silent films you watched in school All black and white about a bike Somewhere in Italy I think I saw you in my dreams I need you tonight I need you here tonight So his passport is American. As far as the CFL is concerned, he is a Canadian. Have you figured out who our next guest is? More receptions, receiving yards and touchdowns than in any previous CFL season. He's played in all 18 regular games this year. 47 receptions, 668 yards, six touchdowns. Five receivers set. Bailey and McRae will actually come back into the backfield. They'll fake it to McRae. Fake the flat pattern. Going to the end zone for Wolitarski. Diving catch for the touchdown. Drew Wolitarski got in behind Nick Marshall. And the Bombers are on the board. We welcome back to Breakfast with the Bombers, number 82, Drew Wolitarski. Great to speak with you again, Wally. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Y'all make me feel very special, man, with that intro. Appreciate you guys. Well, Thank we you appreciate much. you. We know it's an early morning. I know you probably get up early and you start your day, but to uh, put the uh, smile on and the personality to join us uh, it means a lot to us. Now, we don't need to tell you that there's a rather important football game coming up on Saturday. What does a what does a week of preparation look like for Drew Wolitarski? How do you manage your emotions in the ramp up to kickoff? I'll tell you this, man. Um, you know, last week I was felt pretty tired. You know, coming off Calgary, you know, and I had a little break. Uh, but last night the adrenaline already was kicking in. My sleep was pretty crazy last night, and I was up super early, ready to go. So. You already know what kind of business we're on this week. My body knows, my mind knows, and you know the thing about preparation this week is just staying in the moment. I'd say and taking it one day at a time, not thinking too far ahead. You know that's something that can, is easy to do. So for me this morning, my breakfast is a little bagel, a little lemon ginger tea. You know, trying to combat this cold um, and sticking to the process, man. I'm about to head over there right now and 
and do what we do every week, you know, stay to the same kind of ideals and work the same way and expect the same product. What does a bad sleep mean? Is that dreams? Is it nerves? Is it anxiety? Is it excitement? Is it getting up like Greg and doing a repair job at 2 a.m. because you can't think of anything else? I'm not a handyman, so definitely <laughs> not that. But, uh, yeah, just just rolling and, and, and turning in bed and, and just having crazy dreams, honestly. Just the adrenaline sleeps, man. They're nuts. So we know you uh, a bit on and off the field, Drew. We've talked to you a few times. Do you have two different personas? Like on the field, would you say how yeah. you act or talk might be different than off? Um, you know, yeah, I got I got really two jobs. I got football and I got daddy duty when I get home. So you really got to flip a switch at some point. Actually, Big Hill taught me that, flipping that switch, right? Um, it, it is interesting, like having family out here, having my fiance, my daughter, um, you know, when I first started, it, it wasn't always that way, right? I was just a bachelor playing football, and and life is different when you can come home and um, be by yourself compared to coming home, you know, having a family and having that role to take on as well. So it's definitely a balancing act, and it's taken, you know, time to adapt and learn. Um, but we have a lot of family guys on the team, which makes it really special. And, and you know, I have a lot of people to look up to and, and see how they operate, see how they do it. Uh, and that's what's special about this business is, you know, everyone's in that building, you know, willing to share, um, you know, willing to show you the way. And so for me, you know, seeing those professionals at a young age, you know, I started playing at 21 years old here. So seeing those guys from a young age, like that was really special to me. And it taught me a lot of how to deal with all, all these stresses of life, honestly. Well, and I would imagine as well that having those people to come home to maybe, gives you an opportunity to just, like you say, you have to flip the switch. You you don't have time. You can't obsess about work. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. I mean, that's, that's another thing. Like, you know, I get everything done that I need to get done at the stadium because I know at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock when I get home, my 4-year-old, she's going to want to play, and she ain't going to want to watch film. Trust me. So you're right. Yeah, you definitely have to uh, to zone out of that world and come back into this one. And it and it is uh, it is a gift, man. It really is. Talk a little bit more about that connection on the team. One of my favorite conversations ever was with uh, Jamarcus Hardrick, and he he talked about the the life lessons and the parenting lessons that Mike O'Shea have ha, has g- given him, has bestowed upon him over the years, and and he sort of confessed. You know, we probably talk more about kids and raising kids than we do about football. Is, is that commonplace yeah. in your group, Drew? Yeah, it is. And, you know, we just had actually a little uh, barbecue with the receivers. Um, a lot of positions, you know, they'll do their own thing for, like, games, to watch games or whatever, and to, to have these get-togethers. And, you know, we're, we uh, we just had a barbecue with the receivers at Kenny Lawler's house. And, you know, everyone's there. Everyone's, you know, cooking. Like, we had guys you know, roasting the lamb chops, chicken, wings. Um, She'd made his famous macaroni and cheese. Like, you know, it really is a really unique team. And we live for those moments, man, because that's really where you're building that connection. Like, yeah, you're building connection on the field in in a professional way, like, you know, mastering your plays, mastering your your product. But at the same time, like, what's really going to take you to the end is is that deeper connection, man, of doing it for each other because – it's week 26, man. We've been here since May 15th. Like, no one's body feels good right now. Let me tell you, no one's body feels good. 
Um, you're fighting your mind. You know, you know the end's coming. You know, you're trying to not reminisce and, and see the end. It's like you're going to miss this team, right? And you got to block all that out, focus on this moment, and, and play for something more than yourself because at this point, you don't really you don't care about your stats. You don't care about any of that stuff. Like, you, your body needs rest, right? But at the same time, you know you got to keep going. And what's going to push you to do that? The guys next to you, 100%. You, mentioned- you don't do it for yourself no more. Sorry, Drew, you mentioned lamb on the table, and then I just immediately started thinking about food in addition to the camaraderie there. What do you bring to the table meal-wise? Man, I'm, I was a snack guy, you know. I just brought all the snacks, the candies, the chips, the, pre, the pre-eats. I like it. I, I had a friend. I should have brought the guitar, but, you know. I, I had a friend when she got married. I made a, We made a recipe book, and my recipe that I supplied was chips and open bag and put in bowls. So I <laughs> totally hear where you're coming from here. Uh, yeah. I, fi- uh, yeah. I figured you would have been all over the jerk chick- chicken since that jerk chicken we had up north a few weeks ago, Drew. Uh, you oh, know, dude, yes. that, that was some good eats, man. Uh, we'll let you go oh, after yeah. this one. Uh, fan support. Obviously, dude. four straight sellouts. Yeah. And we were having the discussion amongst ourselves off the air yesterday and in the newsroom. Like, did the players even notice that stuff? Did they even discuss 100%. that? Talk about 100%. it. Yeah. So I'll just give an example. Like, Say you're playing in Hamilton or you're playing somewhere away, right? You make a big play and you just like feel this mad adrenaline rush, but it's like everyone's quiet, right? You make a play somewhere else. It's like, it's absolute quiet. It sucks. But you know, you make a play in IG field when it's a full crowd, bro. Like that energy adds to, adds to that, that flame. Like as an opposing team, when a, when a crowd is that loud and that team's just making play after play after play and the crowd is just roaring and the crowd is just roaring, like, that, that gets after your mind a lot. And the fact that you can't hear when you're playing a call, like, it throws teams off, man, and it's super important, especially this time of year. Like, it ain't going to be that cold of a game. I know my Winnipeggers are going to be out there, man. I know my Winnipeggers are going to be out there because it's not that cold. It's not going to be that cold. It's going to be a freaking crazy game, crazy atmosphere. And we need them, man. We really do. Like, these last four games, we've had that sold-out crowd. Like, you can feel the energy that brings our team. And, and we play different when we have that. Drew Wolitarski joining us live for Breakfast with the Bombers. Drew, thank you very much for joining us, sir. We appreciate the time, as always. Pleasure. Hey, have a great day, y'all. And our question of the day, by the way, at cjob.com for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. How are you feeling about the Blue Bombers' chances against the BC Lions in Saturday's Western Final? So we had 3% say Lions win big. 12% say Lions win in a close game. 21% Bombers win big. 53% Bombers win in a close game. And 11% say, don't talk about it! I am superstitious. <laughs> I like that one. Too many options there. I don't even know. I just want to stay silent. <laughs> just I don't want to weigh in. Just want to look forward to it. <laughs> it is Mackling McGarry and McNabb. Congratulations to Sherry Hollop, who is our next qualifier for Parks and Rec. The $5,000 trip for two to Jasper, Alberta. Your next chance to qualify will be on Connecting Winnipeg with KK in this week for Hal. Cam Poitras has your keys to the game coming up. Jets back, Jets back in action tonight. So we'll do that in five minutes time or four minutes time. But right now we just want to continue to talk about 
restaurants and service because we had that survey out earlier this uh, morning that we discussed, Loren, with a food professor that only 30% of Canadians are satisfied with their experiences. Yeah, so that's the Canadian number. In Manitoba, it's 15% surveyed said they were satisfied with their experiences. And Sylvain Charlebois, who we spoke to at 637, as you mentioned, referenced, you know, it's everything from the service you might get to portion size to costs. You just might feel like you're not getting more bang for your enough bang for your buck. And, and maybe you would have put up with some of that before when it was 20, 30 percent cheaper. And now you're not. And, and that dovetails into another conversation we were having about DoorDash and this new policy of theirs where they've come out and said, if you choose the no tip option, you can expect slower service, slower delivery just by saying you're not tipping. And for those who've never used it before. I never have. Okay, so I, I've only I only do it like once a year because it's not available in my community, or maybe it is, but for limited things. Um, you order, you go online, you place your order. Sometimes they have deals where they say the first order is no charge for delivery. But essentially, there's a delivery fee of, it could be six, eight, nine, depending on what city you live in. So you're already getting charged for delivery. And then it has a tip option, which you can then click the tip option on top of the delivery fee. But you're paying for delivery the same way you would if the pizza comes to your door. Right. And then sometimes you tip at the door, right? Sure. If the pizza's on time, if it's still hot, if it's the right order, you double check all those things. In the delivery model services for some of the other food services, you can tip before it even gets to you. And so this idea that I have to tip before I even know if you're going to be on time, if you're going to have the six containers of whatever I ordered, if you're going to remember the plates because I'm at a hotel or the serviettes or the vinegar or the ketchup – and if I don't, you're going to punish me. Seems a bit much. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that at all. I think that's a terrible way to go about it. If they're that busy that they need a way to prioritize which orders are going to get delivered in a timely fashion, uh, either hire more people or stop taking the orders. You mentioned the fact that you were at a restaurant somewhere this past weekend that basically told you we can't even sit you in the restaurant you can sit in the lounge. It's going to take this amount of time. If you want to stay, here's what you're dealing with. If you want to go, we understand. The idea of forcing me to pay more just in order to get the service that I'm paying for in the first place in the form of a tip up front, no thanks. Yeah, I think that's a load of BS. I mean, uh, look, 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 always tip uh, delivery drivers, and it particularly depending on where I order from. Like, there's a place on Sherbrooke, I've mentioned it before, it's called Magic Bird Fried Chicken, and I love it. And one, I don't think they're on the delivery apps anymore. I, 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 it's been a while since I've checked, because now I've just taken to go there to pick up my own food. But knowing what it's like to try to find a parking spot to get to that place is a challenge. It's a challenging street to park. Uh, so I know that and if I if I order delivery food from a place that I know is challenging to get to, yeah. part of the reason I order delivery is because I don't want to deal with that challenge. So yeah, I'm going to tip you based on just the fact that you, the headache you have to deal with. Like any time I see a skip or a DoorDash person in Osborne Village, I just, I feel bad for them. They're like, I have no idea where you, where you parked your car, <laughs> but the stress they must feel to get that food quickly and get it to the customer. So yeah, you're going to get a tip, but I would prefer to tip you at the door, not ahead of time. Yeah, I think that's what the tip is about, right? You're acknowledging, rewarding for the service. And when the service hasn't happened yet, it seems backwards. DoorDash said in its statement last week when this policy sort of was revealed or if customers stumbled upon it, it's a North American one, 
When consumers choose to add their own custom tip instead of using one of our suggested default amounts, we let them know that tips can help motivate a dasher to accept their order more quickly. In the event that you choose to not leave a tip, we also let them know that their order may then take longer to be accepted. This is because, as independent contractors, dashers have full freedom to accept or reject officers ba- offers based on what they view as valuable and rewarding. So my question to the dashers, if you're a dasher out there, someone who delivers, do you not get a per- what is there an hourly wage plus a percentage of the delivery fee and the tip, or is it just the wage and a tip? Is it no, is it no wage and just the tip? Like how no does idea. it all work? Mm-hmm. Because if that's the case, then I can understand the desire to want to 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 tip them more if if that's their main source right, of that, their income. Right, that's the gig economy, right? It's that sort of piecemeal thing. You, well, I won't use the terminology <laughs> used to use in sales. The idea is that you know uh, if you hustle, you make more money. However, this seems like a little bit of uh, an off-putting situation in terms of asking customers to pay more just so that they get what they expect. Less than 30% of Canadians satisfied with restaurant experiences amid higher menu prices. And, Loren, that number is even lower in Manitoba. Just 15% are satisfied. Yeah, and the food professor talked about the idea that it's, you know, there's the price of things right now. There's maybe the portions you're getting, maybe the service you're getting. Just the overall experience has shifted. And when you're paying more, you might be more critical. And, of course, this all adds up to just another challenge restaurants are facing and what's been... um, unprecedented, I think it's safe to say, stretch of years. Ravi Rambaran owns several restaurants in Winnipeg, including the Dreamland Diner at 2615 Portage Avenue. Good morning, Ravi. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy, and, and when when you're willing to come on to talk about a survey like this, what's your reaction when you hear about that level of dissatisfaction? You know what? I totally believe it. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's sad to admit that, but um, it's just... Restaurants are a very, very expensive game uh, to play right now and a very, very risky game. Um, I think a lot are kind of on the losing side right now and trying to survive. And I think since the pandemic, it's been just a, it's been a tough go. Like we're still, we're still pivoting, you know, almost daily and trying, trying new ideas and, and thank God for social media because we can get those ideas up quickly, but it's um, it's a, it, it is a challenge with everything going up in price. Ravi, it's Greg Mackling here, and I was in that business for a long time. And one of the stories that I I tell a lot of people in my circle that are in that business and others is about, you know, labor cost and just how critical it is to keep that labor cost. I know food cost is is one animal, but labor is something that is directly, there's that correlation between how busy you are and how busy you're not and whether you're keeping people on or, or, you know, making sure that if you do get busy, you can serve people. So it's a fine line to walk. And so monitoring those sales by the quarter, the half, the full hour and, and trying to predict how busy you're going to be, you don't, you don't want to be on the wrong side of that equation. What happens when you're on the wrong side of it? You know, it, it's funny you say that. So, now more and more um, expecting your your Friday or Saturday or Thursday night crowds to come in um, is just so inconsistent now. Um, and I think that's uh, amongst most places. Of course, there's there's the unicorns like the keg that just, you know, they're packed every, you know, they, they know their science. But for the smaller restaurants, um, it's, it's, it's a tough go. It's, it's hard to, to, to predict 
those those waves of people coming in, right? So now we push for reservations so we can get a better idea. And and uh, you know people don't always do that. And it's it's labor cost is 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 uh, of course keeps going up like everything else. Um, but I think now more than ever, it's really setting those expectations with the customers and saying, hey, you know what? We're low understaffed right now. Um, we weren't expecting this crowd right now. Uh, please bear with us. It might take a little bit longer, but we're going to serve the hell out of you. Um, and I think it's setting those expectations and really getting that communication up really helps mitigate that. Um, it's uh, in terms of labor as well, um, finding people that have that level of service, young people, is is also challenging today. Um, people that are willing to talk, willing to communicate, people that are not shy to interact with the customer is is a little bit different than it was you know 15 years ago um i think people younger people are a little bit more shy or, or maybe inexperienced in their communication um and especially with the uh, a lot of the new workforce being new immigrants so th- there's lots of challenges coming at you but you gotta you gotta work kind of the best angles of them well that's that's actually an interesting topic and perhaps we'll have to look further into that Ravi because I wonder I don't want to blame everything on your phone and social media but I wonder if that's changed just our overall communication ability as well but we can delve further into that a bit later on but you know you've got you have a few restaurants your newest one is Dreamland Diner at 2615 Portage Avenue as Loren mentioned you opened that earlier this year just curious to know what sort of challenges have you faced in opening another business in what's, you know, been a, a tough year amongst a stretch of tough years. You know, so the, uh, a big part of the- Oh, Ravi, are you still there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you now. Okay. Um, uh, part of the premise of, of opening Dreamland was to make an affordable place for families to go. And COVID really taught us that that was important. People don't have the money that they used to have. And they wanted somewhere to take their kids um, without spending, you know, $25 a head and still have a a dining experience out, you know. Um, But what we realized is that um, people still want that full service dining experience. And and we're actually changing right now the way we operate to go more back towards table service instead of counter service and giving them that that service that they're wanting. And and, um, our menu there is really, really affordable. Uh, but with affordable means that it's not gourmet, it's not super fancy, it's simple, fun foods. Um, so we are getting the traffic coming through the door, but the dollars that they're spending are very, very, very low. We're noticing people are sharing fries, people are ordering a bunch of waters for the tables. Um, it, people are, are right now on a very, very, very tight budget, uh, especially these, it seems like these young families that are coming through. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, the more you have at the table, the more it's going to cost, which sounds so overly simplistic to say. But I grew up in a time where you didn't have pop with the, your siblings because that was too expensive. And then we sort of had this evolution of things where people had more money. And it does feel like we much like your diner has gone back to the 50s. Perhaps people are going back to a time where they're changing their habits like we would have and said no pop or no dessert. Um, and when that's what your wheelhouse is to have the burgers and fries and maybe a Sunday. Ravi, what do you have to do to get creative to try to get them to put an extra five, 10, 15 bucks on that bill? You know, so we're, we're like, for example, at Dreamland, we're like, uh, my partner there, uh, my brother actually, who's, who also run it. He's pretty, he's pretty clever with the social media and coming up with new ideas every day, but he's doing, he's doing gourmet hot chocolates now for the winter. We're doing soup and sandwiches now for the winter. We're doing table service for the winter. Um, our focus is no longer ice cream, obviously, <laughs> but you would be surprised how many Canadians love ice cream in the winter. <laughs> but, um, 
you know, like we, we've got buy seven milkshakes, get one free. We've got uh, gluten-free, dairy-free, like a ton of items. You know, like we're doing so many cool things there to try to get people in the doors. Um, for example, like dessert first kids birthday parties, which are kind of a new hit. But, you know, social media has really changed the scope of this and, and also the competitive nature of, of, the, of the restaurant industry. So staying on top of these things, implementing ideas, is is also you know it's not it's not easy to just come up with an idea and all of a sudden reprint all your menus update your social media and update your website and it seems like we're doing that almost twice a week now <laughs> we're wow. we're trying to push new ideas to get people in and it's luckily you know we're kind of youngish and and willing to go nuts on these ideas but I, I can understand that a lot of restaurants aren't and they're not easily movable right but I think that's just the nature of this business these days and, and probably most industry these days. We've got to be able to move fast. Can I ask, Robbie, the pickle dog, is it a dog with just extra pickles or is it just like a giant pickle in my bun? I mean, I'm good with either. I just was curious. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it's our, uh, well, we actually get our meat from uh, Winnipeg Old Country, which is like the classic Winnipeg mm-hmm. hot dog place. But um, So it's an all-beef hot dog with uh, pickle spears. Uh, sliced pickles and uh, and honey dill sauce on top. Oh, it's, it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's really good. Just all the pickles. Okay, sorry, didn't want to derail. Greg, did you have one? No, Greg's we, not a pickle fan, no, but I am. No. So it's an ongoing debate. Yeah, right? so I gave her the the look at that. The thirty seconds. You do all this stuff. We've shared this survey with our listeners. Are people more discerning? Are you getting more complaints? Um, no, we don't get too many complaints. You know, the complaints that I think the restaurant industry gets are from people quite often who are afraid to speak to the manager. Good like, we're humans, and I'm going to admit that. We do screw up from time to time. We give people the wrong order, the wrong drink, whatever. It happens in every restaurant. But most of the negative reviews we get are from people who are not willing to go to the counter or ask for a manager or a staff member to correct a problem. Correct a problem. Like, yeah, and, and the thing is, I think most restaurants would easily correct these issues. But often, like, we'll get a review that, you know, some, someone says, oh, I got the wrong food, or I waited too long, or this was cold. Hey, if you speak to our team, we'll fix that for you. No problem. But it's, we often, it's funny, like, it's almost like a, I hate to say it, but it's almost like a cowardly way of making your complaint visible, right? Like, just just tell us where we're happy to fix it. And I think almost every restaurateur would be, you know, but um, but it's, it's, it's new age, it's the way things work. And and you have to, you know, on our side, we just have to work harder to make sure that those things don't happen. Ravi Rambaran, he owns several restaurants in Winnipeg, including Dreamland Diner at 2615 Portage Avenue, also Four Crowns on McPhillips, and St. James uh, Burger and Chips on Ness, uh, which, by the way, we, uh, we, the three of us have tried the, the burgers yes. and fries there, when we can all confirm that they are among the best burgers and fries on the planet. So uh, the next time uh, you come on our show, Ravi, um, we might need you to bring <laughs> bring in some samples. <laughs> we can make that happen, no problem. Times are tough for restaurant owners, but if you could just bring us <laughs> some free food, I, I just, I just. Just bring oh, Loren pickles; awesome. she'll be happy, Ravi. She's a cheap date. <laughs> you know, one thing I do want to say to you guys is, like, although yeah, that survey says what it is. Winnipeggers are awesome. Winnipeggers support like crazy. I don't want to put a dark like shade over the restaurant industry here. The people are still coming out. They're still trying to support with the little money that they have. So I'm thankful for that. Well, and we're thankful for you, Ravi. Thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure, sir. 
Cool. Take care, guys. Thank you so much. Ravi Rambaran. He is the owner of Dreamland Diner at 2615 Portage Avenue. And that's a great tip that he just made there about uh, talking to the manager. Sure. Because, like, I, I won't name the restaurant because, you know, we just talked to a restaurant. But there is a restaurant that I dealt with where we had a problem. I sent the manager an email. They corrected it. And then when we were there, they corrected it even further. And mm-hmm. now I'm a customer for life. Right. Exactly. I, I'll never forget customers who said... The reason we come back here, anybody can cook a steak, anybody can cook it wrong, but it's the way you correct things when they go sideways is why I keep bringing my customers, my colleagues here is because I know in the off chance it goes sideways, nobody's going to correct it the way you're going to correct it. And so you've earned my trust. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have a pair of tickets to give away for the Western Final. And once again, our job is very difficult when to selecting one. We're asking you today to give us examples of good service you've received. And uh, super tough to make this call. Uh, One of our runners up, for example, Greg, is Jeff N. uh, Talking about something his kid experienced. Yeah, we celebrated our five-year-old's birthday at his favorite pizza restaurant. During dinner, he lost a tooth. So excited, birthday and tooth fairy. Wow, the whole restaurant knew all about it. When it was time to leave, our kid, being five, couldn't find the tooth. Many tears. As we were pulling out of the parking lot, Sandy, our server, ran out through the snow and banged on our car window. They had searched and the tooth had been found in the washroom hallway, made us and our kids day service above and beyond the call of duty. (laughs) It's just such a little thing, but oh God, that's awesome. Uh, This is fantastic as well. Loren Murray had to go on a wild goose chase. Murray says about 17 years ago when my wife was pregnant, One Sunday night, 10 o'clock, she had a craving for strawberries. I'm telling her, I can't go out. It's Sunday night. Where am I going to find strawberries? She gets upset and starts crying. So, of course, I go out, says Murray. Tried convenience stores, 7-Eleven, he says. Nothing there. I was about to head home when I remembered a week earlier, we were at the Olive Garden on La Jamodier, and they had given me a strawberry with my daiquiri. Well, in the last-ditch effort, I went in to beg and plead to see that I could buy one or two strawberries. The staff member I was talking to went to see the manager. The manager came out from the back, said she remembered what it was like to be pregnant and have cravings and gave me two pints of strawberries, no charge. She told me I was a good husband for coming out and trying. I thanked her so much and went home to a grateful wife. We will never forget that. Oh, that is excellent. Uh, and so again, tough to make one choice here because there can be only one, at least for this particular show. There are more tickets to give away through the day. But Michelle is our winner who says, good morning, my three radio musketeers. This past Saturday morning, I was planning on making chocolate dipped raspberries. I realized then that they are for someone who is celiac. I bought the chocolate at Save on Foods a while ago in the bulk section. So I call Save on Foods at 8.30 a.m. No one was available from that department, so they put me through to produce. This very young guy answered the phone. My mind quickly went to, ah, he's not going to be able to help me. I explained my situation. He walked over to the bulk section, but there was no description of the ingredients nor the name of the chocolate brand. Without letting me know, he went to the back of the store. He found the chocolate box Read the ingredients with a cheerful voice. Not only are these delicious chocolates gluten-free, they're also egg-free and dairy-free. So huge shout-out to Gray in the produce department at Save on Foods on McPhillips at 8.30 on a Saturday morning. 
After he was so helpful, I asked if I could speak with his manager. So I was transferred to the store manager. I started the conversation with, hey, I'm calling about a good thing. <laughs> you have to sneak like, that yes, in, right? Yes. <laughs> and then continue to explain my wonderful service at 8.30 a.m. from this young gentleman. So Michelle says, if I win these tickets, I'd be happy to give them to this young gentleman to let him know people really do appreciate his great customer service and to keep oh, it up through life. Go Bombers, that. go, says Michelle. That's awesome. That's great. Thank you for your stories, as always. On a, especially on a gloomy day like today, sometimes we need to pick me up, and your, and your stories always, always pick us up. So we appreciate it very much. And the idea that you're like you've already paid for the product, right? Yeah. I mean, what that does, as we talked about earlier, is generate loyalty to return. But he's getting nothing out of that at that moment, and I think that that's what needs to be remembered on both sides, right? Yes. To acknowledge the idea that I, okay, maybe I'll pay a little bit more at that place, but boy, did I like the customer service. And on the opposite side, for the server or the staff member, okay, they've already paid for it, but if I give a little extra, they're coming back. And it's so rewarding for that young person to know that their job and going above and beyond that expectation is appreciated. It's just going to just... The impact on that on young Gray is going to be outstanding. I'm so happy about that story. Greg, you uh, said it rather succinctly and, and wonderfully the other day, describing uh, what's coming up on Saturday as the most important day on the calendar. Yeah, that's the way I feel. Without the sacrifices we recognize and commemorate on Saturday, uh, none of the other freedoms, none of the other holidays we cherish so much, the times with our families, uh, celebrations of, of your faith, of, of, you know, Grey Cup coming up, whatever it might be, none of it is possible. And so uh, it is the most important day on the calendar for me. And uh, we're visiting with two men who are doing their best to ensure that uh, memories and our history does not die. Peter Martin, Manitoba coordinator for No Stone Left Alone, does veteran outreach with the Transcona Legion and is also director for the Transcona Museum. Peter, always wonderful to see you. Good morning. Good morning. And for the first time in our studio, we welcome Matt Halpin, his Manitoba branch president for the Last Post Fund. Matt, good morning. Happy to be here. Thank you. So uh, why don't we take a step in time, back in time, just a few months here, Peter. We have to ask you about something that I know. Before, sorry, Greg, can I just, can we just test your microphone, Peter? Testing, one, two. Okay. P- to be- Rollo, come over. Peter, come over to my mic. Come sit here. Something's okay. up with so, that one there. You something- can take my spot and I'll just listen in from We have five else. microphones in our studio and, and the people with the microphone that Peter is at has, I don't know if it's actually, if it's actually ever been used on our that show. Maybe the first time. <laughs> so, so it's still not used. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're doing, can you hear me yeah, now? Yeah, we can hear you now. <laughs> so Loren's Peter. jumping into the news booth. I already broke and, your microphone. No, here, you didn't. So. No. <laughs> Bill's in the mail, Peter. Uh, yeah, not sure what's going on there. But anyway, Greg, pro. Let's uh, go back just a few weeks, something that was in the news, something that I recall speaking to you about, and that's plots for veterans, something that that, um, seemed to be in place in the city of Winnipeg and then somehow disappeared. Am I recapping that at least generally okay? Yeah, generally that that is the fact. It was approved by council unanimously in in January or February of 2022, free plots for veterans in Brookside or Transcona. And then in... So 2022 was funded within the existing budget. And then in 2023, uh, there was no money in the budget. I found out by accident that they actually 
didn't find the money, $23,000 to go in the budget for 2023. So I just started to a personal mission to find out what happened. And it's not the, the program itself, the free plots, that stopped. It's like funding the free plots that stopped. So it really concerned me that they couldn't find $23,000. And? Uh, and? It, it's coming. It's, uh, they've now recommended it's actually in the budget process for the multi-year budget, 2024 uh, to 2027, so they're actually looking at it in the budget, but it doesn't mean it's going to be there, so I'm uh, going to be watching every meeting, presenting every meeting, just to make sure they can find that money. So All right, you keep making noise on confident. that. All right, excellent. So when you talk about those plot, plots, before we get into um, Matt and the work you do at the last post fund, Peter, you're hoping that money's in place. Without it, what does that mean? Is it a handful of veterans that might go, Peter, without having the burials they wanted? Like, what's oh, the cost? You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. Hold on a second, Peter. We need you to put on those headphones. Oh, boy. You know what? This is getting <laughs> yeah. too complicated here. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I, I wonder where Peter was looking. I'm over here. Oh, I'm in a totally <laughs> separate area. <laughs> yeah. Why isn't anybody speaking to me? Yeah, I, I, I'll I, repeat the question, Peter. I was just asking about yeah. who was impacted. If, if this doesn't go through, how many people were working to get money through the program because it's about what 1500 bucks at least for a plot about 1500 but in 2022 when the program was funded 11 veterans applied and received the free plot there's no means test there's no nothing you're a veteran you can show your veterans card you get the free plot so there's 11 in 2022 so i imagine the numbers would be consistent with that going forward but right and i found out about the program because a widow of veteran approached me asking me to get the plot for her husband and I couldn't find the money. I couldn't find the program existed anymore. So it was a personal mission. But not right. much money, in my opinion. It's still a lot of money, but it's not as much as other things. Now, Matt, uh, Matt Halpin, Manitoba branch president for the last post fund. What is the last post fund? Because I got to confess to you, I, I had not heard of it. Well, I think that's, that's part of our initiative here is to be a little more vocal, a little more visible in, in what we do. Last post fund has been around uh, since 1909, it was established then, um, and it's uh, the last post fund is we're a nonprofit organization whose mission is to ensure that no veteran is denied a dignified funeral and burial, and as well as a military gravestone, due to insufficient funds at the time of death. So that's really that's really our focus, and we initiate and administrate the funeral and burial program for Veterans Affairs Canada on their behalf. And uh, it's been very successful over the years. We've, we've helped out uh, over 158,000 veterans uh, since World War I uh, in that burial program. And uh, we continue to do that today. It's got to be incredibly rewarding, Matt, to be involved with an organization like this. When did you learn of it and, and how did you get involved? And maybe just talk about how, how rewarding it is. Well, as I mentioned, um, I was at a, a levy at the legislature, and uh, the previous president approached me. Uh, I know him very well, Bob Orzakowski. Uh, we've worked together uh, at, uh, at the wing here in, in Winnipeg. He approached me about the last post fund, and I, my, my first thought was, what is the last post fund? I mean, I'm a veteran of 37 years, and I really had no knowledge of it. Um, so I, I said, yeah, sure. Why not? And, you know, I, I dug into the, the website, found out what they're all about. And uh, it's an incredible, noble uh, project that's been around for over 100 years. And uh, even, you know, Peter's initiative here with the, uh, uh, with the, with the, uh, the, 
I guess the headstones and the, and the burial plots, certainly at uh, Transcona and uh, Brookside as well. I mean, it's an incredible, noble initiative by the city, and uh, it'd be tremendous to see that go forward over the coming years. There's the dignity in death that you want to provide people, Peter, not just for what they did, but the idea that sometimes you can't afford things when you pass and that there's the little things that can go a long way for family members. And then there's also what you do that even years after, decades after a soldier has passed, to honour them with the no stone left alone. That was yesterday, Peter? Uh, That was yesterday in Transcona. About 650 grade 6 students attended the cemetery, Transcona. A lot of veterans like Matt were there as well. And it's getting the students out of the classroom to look at the gravestone and see it as an individual soldier, father, brother, sister, but a person who lived in the community and served their country as opposed to a group of soldiers landing. It's taking it back to the personal touch and the students understand that. What do you hear from them when they're in that moment? Because they go to sort of just to honor them, to stand there, to be with them. But I'm imagining, you know, myself even in a cemetery, when you look at ages sometimes or the names, you think, oh, man. This kid was 17, or this woman was 21, or who knows what their story was. What do you hear from the students in these moments with them? We hear a lot because they write their story after and they give it back to me, and I share that with other veterans and with the organization on their thoughts. But but a lot of the stones in the field of honor are people who survived the war, came back, lived a regular life, and then they died when they were older. They also have plaques up in the cemetery that show the 123 soldiers from Transcona that are not buried in Transcona, they're buried in Europe. They didn't come home. So I make sure the students understand these are the ones that survived, even though they were not the same person, mentally and and physically perhaps, but there's 123 that didn't come home. So I say think about the families who lost their son, their brothers, their father, and think about them when you're talking remembrance. Think about the impact on the lives forever of those families who lost their their child. Matt, when we talk about Remembrance Day, are we doing a good enough job at keeping it alive? Um, I, I guess it's kind of a hard question to answer only because, um, you know, our, we tend to forget about it. I don't want to say forget about our history, but um, it's not at the forefront of our daily lives that, uh, of what certainly what a lot of the veterans did, what's, what's happened over the last 120 years um, uh, with World War One continuing today. I mean, today we have... Uh, if you want to count them, probably close to 600,000 veterans in this country. And that includes modern-day veterans like myself or those who are still in the military. Um, Remembrance Day is, is, is something that I think in our minds should be thought of every day. Um, and like Peter has mentioned, uh, we've got families and, and friends out there who have lost loved ones over the years, and uh, they never forget and, uh, and it's certainly something that we should always keep in the back of our mind that uh, this country was founded um, by their sacrifice in many ways. And uh, we should never forget that. We were talking off air, Peter, about the men in gate and how uh, that the men in gate in uh, Normandy, yes, and yes. uh, Ypres, they every day they play the, the last the last post. It's, it's a whole wreath-laying ceremony every day around 8.30. Every was, day. Every day. They missed one day because of World War One or World War Two activity, but <clears throat> every day. And I participated in a, in, a, in a laying of a wreath there. And people are so appreciative of things, and they just say, we need to honor those who served and all those who died who are written on the men and gate itself. 
We need to remember their sacrifice. That's commitment. That's really dedication. And there's one last comment on the what, what Matt was saying. Freedom of expression, freedom of speech, like this came at a very high price. What we have here came at a high price. It was paid by all those who served and died especially. So we've got to remember what we have here wouldn't have happened if it wouldn't for all of that. So we appreciate the ability to have freedom of expression, freedom of speech, and appreciate each other's differences, that we can say things and because it's this kind of a free country. We're not limited, but we need to respect each other's opinion and uh, the right. Well, I think we'll have to leave it there because yep. that's a perfect way to end it. So, Peter, thank you very much for joining us. We always appreciate you and your time. Thank you. Peter Martin is the Manitoba coordinator for No, Sto- no Stone Left Alone, does veteran outreach with the Transcona Legion and is the director for the Transcona Museum, which, by the way, has a week-long exhibit at, uh, ex- at Kildonan Place this week, Stories of Remembrance from Hometown to the Front Lines. And Matt Halpin, Manitoba Branch President for the Last Post Fund. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you for having me. And uh, maybe a quick one, uh, lastpostfund.ca, if anybody needs uh, some information. lastpostfund.ca.